Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders Podcast, where we bring the best of the best in digital health leadership to you. I'm Russ Branzell, President and CEO of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the host of this podcast. These are truly unprecedented times for our industry and our healthcare leaders. These leaders are doing everything they can to support our frontline caregivers and guide their organizations through some of the most tumultuous times in modern history. Today, we have one of those special leaders with us. Well, our guest today is a, a extra special friend of mine and uh, personally so great to have him on our program today. We worked together in Colorado as CIOs and eventually as part of the same system that came together at University of Colorado Health. He is absolutely an amazing digital leader. Uh, his skills are renowned. He's transformed the delivery care across Colorado and so many surrounding states. Uh, under his leadership, the University of Colorado Health is one of only three organizations to achieve level 10 on the Chime Digital Health Most Wired survey. And the great news is, as of uh, really earlier this week, uh, they've done that two years in a row. So amazing, amazing success there. We're absolutely pleased to have Steve Hess, the Chief Information Officer of University of Colorado Health in Denver, Colorado, on the program. Welcome, Steve. Russ, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, first and foremost, how are you? How's your family doing? How's all our friends out in Colorado doing? You know, everyone's doing okay. I, you know, I'm extremely proud of how UC Health and the, the broader Colorado communities really responded. As I step back and look at this pandemic and, and healthcare and healthcare IT, my perspective is that the resilience of the individuals in the, the healthcare space is just unbelievably spectacular and beyond a reproach. So, so for you in, in particular, how, how is your team structured through this? Are they still working at home? I know you're in the office at least today, but uh, what I hear for a lot of people, even when they go in the office, uh, they're awful lonely. So how are you all working that these days? Yeah, so for the most part, uh, IT, those in IT that can be remote are still remote. The reality is it's pre-COVID. We were doing a lot of remote working even before. So really hasn't changed that much for the broader IT team, the, the EHR analysts and, and the analytics and so on. I think we actually did look at RevCycle, HR, supply chain, some of these other non-IT groups. We actually sent quite a few folks home, about 1,500 new folks who weren't remotely working pre-COVID are now working at, from home. I think it's different. Obviously lots of tools, lots of capability, but I think people really miss that human interaction. I know that, when, you know, I, I pretty much work from the office on site, but occasionally I work from home. And even those occasional days, you miss that excitement, you miss that energy, you miss that human interaction and just that, that feeling that you're, you're truly part of something special. It's hard to do that through Zoom and Teams and other capability. I think we've managed through it. We've kept busy, lots of projects, and I think that's kept everybody on the everybody's eye on the ball. But the reality is, is I think people are anxious to reestablish those team relationships, be able to talk to each other in the hallway, get creative, get innovative, and just feed off each other's energy. You just can't duplicate that over video conferencing. Yeah. So, and we're hearing that same theme, Steve, across the country that it's it's just different difficult to, to maintain that collegiality and that those relationships 
Um, and, and your team especially, I know so many of them, they're just great people to be around. So how are you keeping that special culture that you've developed still at least close to intact? Yeah, I mean, healthcare is about humans and human touch and human interaction. So even IT, where most of our folks could do their jobs from their basement or their home office, I still think that that um, you know it's really important for them to have that human interaction. And you know, a lot of the UCL IT team came from the business, came from bedside nursing, came from other clinical areas, and we taught them IT. So they're used to that human touch and why they got in healthcare in the first place. So a lot of what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're making sure that everybody has to have their video on when they're doing video conferencing. So we really don't allow the audio only. So we want that, that visual of being able to see each other, see that body language, see that reaction, and be able to even connect from that level. So I would say pre-COVID, nine people out of 10 would not connect through video, they just connect through audio. And that's been reversed. That's a little thing, but something that we're doing. But you know, we have frequent communications down from our CEO, frequent communications from our leadership. We've turned like monthly meetings into weekly huddles, shorter, but you know, more often to just keep that connection and make sure that we're we're staying on 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 top of not only our deliverables, but also on those relationships. So certainly not perfect, not ideal. We still want to. We, we long for that day when we're going to be able to get back together and share lunch or share, share that hallway conversation. But just the little things, more frequent, shorter, smaller interactions are what we're striving to do. Oh, that's great that you're still trying to do that. That's, that's pretty amazing. Now, speaking of amazing, I'll pick on you a little bit here because, you know, if there's somebody I know a lot about, it, it's not a lot, maybe enough to get us both in trouble, but uh, we know quite a bit about you and, when, when our systems came together, you were the perfect choice to be the CIO for the whole system there. Because uh, I, I think the way you put it yourself is you started dreaming of being a CIO, maybe not in those words, at a lot younger age than I ever did. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your career path and you know, kind of why you do what you do and, and ended up in this role as the CIO. Yeah, it's a really interesting story. And I think I'm probably an anomaly um, in more ways than one. So... Um, the, the, the reality is, is that I got the computer bug when I was 15 years old. I got my first Radio Shack computer, you know, the kind that you had to hook up to a cassette player. And I started um, playing with programming. I was not really a hardware guy. I was more of that software programming guy. But I saw, even back then, this is the early 80s, I saw how just with basic programming, a computer could automate a lot of the things that that are very manual, human intensive. Uh, and I saw the potential even when I was 15 years old. So, you know, I actually got the programming computer software bug when I was 15 years old. I knew then I wanted to be in IT. So it, it's just, that's a that's an unusual story. As I said earlier, you know, we have, we have hundreds of people that are now at UC Health IT that start out in business it, as a lab tech as a bedside nurse, uh, you know, all kinds of different, you know, origins to get to where they are today. I kind of knew where I wanted to be when I was really early. So I would say I'm probably the exception there. So I actually went to school for computer science for programming. 
I worked in manufacturing and IT while I was in college, one year out of college, and then I fell into healthcare. I was, this was in Delaware, and I was working at DuPont, and I fell into the local healthcare system from an IT perspective. So I was IT all along, went from manufacturing DuPont to the local healthcare system, and just fell in love. Fell in love with the idea of, of using this incredible technology, programming, automation, to make the lives of the doctors and the nurses and the other clinical staff better and easier, and ultimately impacting the patient's lives as well. My first 10 years at uh, was now called Christiana Care in, in Delaware, I did 10 different jobs, literally 10 different jobs on my resume. And I did that on purpose. And it was mostly because I, I knew I wanted to be a leader someday, didn't really know what a CIO was or anything like that back then. But I knew when I wanted to be in technology, I wanted to make the lives of these healthcare professionals better and easier. And I knew I wanted to be a leader. I was always fascinated by leaders and how they, you know, formed both strategy and operations, created a map to get to that future direction and so on. So I did 10 different jobs so I could just learn everything, right? Everything about IT and healthcare. And to this day, um, I think that was one of the most valuable and effective decisions I made because even though the technology's changed over the past couple of decades, I still know what a database administrator goes through. I know what an interface engineer goes through. I know what a help desk analyst goes through. I know what a lab um, analyst goes through or a PC technician goes through or an architect goes through because I've done that. Again, the technology's changed. It's gotten so much better and scalable and cloud-based and connected and so on, but I've been in their shoes. So as now I now look at the strategy and a direction and making decisions on budget and FTEs, and I've been in their shoes and know their struggles, know their barriers, and can help see how I can help them help the organization get to the future. So that, you know, long story, but you know, I, I knew I wanted to be when I was 15 years old. I fell into healthcare, but then took the opportunity to just learn everything about it. And it served me extremely well over the years as a CIO. Yeah, I, I, I love how deliberate and intentional you've been during all these years. Even coming to Colorado, I remember the story you told me. I came here, you said, this was you, you said you came here because you wanted to implement a big system. In this case, it was Epic. You wanted to get that experience. You wanted to do it at a really big, complex place and a big academic center, and you wanted to get that experience. And you even said, I think I'll do that for a few years, and then I'll go somewhere else. And, well, that somewhere else now has been quite a few more years. Yeah, well, that somewhere else came to me, right? I mean, that's you're exactly right. I, I came here because I wanted to be part of an A-plus organization implementing an enterprise strategy like Epic. And, um, I, I, you know, I wanted to, to knock it out of the park. Um, and then I figured that I, I'd either get tired of that or they'd get tired of me. But the reality is, is UC Health then came along the way and I saw an, another incredible opportunity to do something even more special with people like you and others. And it, uh, it's been everything I've hoped for, to be honest. Yeah, and you all are doing amazing things there. Let's just kind of even talk about that. Uh, I mentioned it in your introduction. Uh, there were only three organizations last year that got the highest level of the digital health survey, Most Wired. Uh, that Chime puts out, and uh, and and you all were one of those, and now you've repeated this year. There's a few more, but not many more than last year, and you're one of only three that the same three repeated. So that's pretty impressive. So first, to you and your team, 
And I know to the whole organization's congratulations on such an amazing achievement. Thanks, Russ. So tell us a little bit and about your digital world, about what you're creating there, what strategy you're trying to deploy, because you and I did a thought leadership together last year, I think it was, and I was just sat there dumbfounded at how amazing what you all are, the work you all are doing there. Yeah, so um, as you know, you know, one of the first things we've done here is that we, we collapsed 26 clinical systems to an integrated EHR. And that sounds so simple, and it sounds like, why doesn't everybody do that? Because it's awfully hard and awfully expensive, right? But, you know, we actually have an enterprise EHR across 12 hospitals, 860 ambulatory clinics, three independent hospitals, and so on. And we actually look at that platform as a strategic asset. It's not an EHR. It's not Epic. It's a, it's a strategic asset that we've been able to use to leverage to continue to grow the organization. So that's, I think that's number one, you know, a commitment to your IT platform as a strategic asset, not just as a EHR, not just as a tool. I think the other thing that we've done is that we committed to embracing our nursing and physician partners to the point where the IT team actually has over 30 physician informaticists and over 20 nursing informaticists. Now, the 30 physician informaticists are not 100% devoted to us. They're all still practicing clinicians, but we fund a portion of their salary and time because it's really important that we bring the nurses and the doctors into the IT decision-making process such that we're, we're not just doing things from an IT perspective. We're not just doing things because that's the next version of the EHR or whatever. We're doing things because they're solving the problems that the doctors and nurses are seeing every day. So those nurses, those doctors, bring such an invaluable perspective to the decision-making and how we implement things. So not just the what, but the how and when, and it's been a really important part of our success is to have those docs and those nurses along for the, the ride. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, another success factor is just how much our senior executives have bought into the IT platforms and that, you know, everything that we're doing, so we look at our strategic plan, cascade down our annual plan, everything touches IT and IT touches everything. So but it's not like we're not just an IT group that monitors the data center, keeps the network up, make sure PCs are deployed. We are embedded in operations and operations is embedded in IT. And I think that's really important. Likewise, we're using our IT platform to innovate. So we're not just looking at this as a transactional EHR that helps us with orders and results and documentation to get bills out the door. We're really looking at this as a, a platform to innovate and actually bring third parties into the point of care and reduce cost, create efficiency, expand our presence with our patients, and really use our enterprise EHR to bring intelligence to the point of care and, and innovate. So I think the, you know, innovation and IT are not two separate things. They're intertwined at UC Health. And then I think, you know, this is, this is touchy-feely, soft kinds of stuff, but there's just an innate desire here to be great and never be satisfied. So whether it's, you know, most wired level 10 or stage seven or, um, you know, bond rating agencies or quality benchmarking, patient satisfaction through HCAPs, no matter what we do here, we're always asking ourselves, what can we do better? 
what are our patients telling us? What are our docs telling us? What are, what's our team telling us? What can we do to make things better? Because if you're not improving, you're, you're actually moving backwards. And so we're constantly looking in the mirror and figuring out what we can do better. Well, that's amazing. And uh, obviously your leadership's uh, making a profound uh, impact there. Yeah, you're right about that because level 10 in particular, we continue to raise the bar. And uh, if you sit still, the, the bar is going to pass you by pretty quickly. So it's pretty impressive how, you, how you've uh, maintained this level of excellence. Speaking of which, and, and probably know this system is you know, probably better than any other out there that we get to do these podcasts with, but I just know the complexity there, which is like a lot of other organizations' complexity, but yours is yours is uh, one I'm familiar with. And you start with a big academic center right in the middle of Denver and, and you know, across the whole Denver Metroplex. And you got two giant community health systems, one in the Colorado Springs area, one up north in Fort Collins, Greeley, and Loveland. But around that, you've got this whole, everything from rural care to smaller cities to truly critical access in some of their most kind of remote places out in Nebraska and Wyoming and, and Eastern Colorado. How do you maintain all of that? And, and more importantly, you talk about this concept and strategy. How do you create IT governance that's even an attempt at inclusive? Yeah, it's a great question. And again, you know, very carefully is the, is the right answer, right? <laughs> um, the, the, um, it's interesting. So we, we have an enterprise EHR and, and, and as you remember, when UCL was formed, you know, what I said to the CNOs and the CMOs and the CEOs and, and all the people, I said, you know what, we have one EHR and um, I want to help get us to that same EHR is being used across the academic and the community hospitals, whether it's a you know, 500 bed health system community or a 15 bed critical access hospital. The idea is that we have one EHR and we're gonna avoid customization. Configuration's okay, customization customization's not okay. So we create that structure around the CNOs at the table with the nursing informaticist, the CMOs at the table with the physician informaticist. It essentially said, I'll build it one way, but we're gonna build it one way. And you know, there were some tough discussions about this assessment score or this documentation or who, um, you know, what scope of authority does this role have that, that aren't traditionally IT decisions, but we forced them um, because they had impact on the IT build. So, you know, we went after it from an executive level perspective. We got sign off on those guiding principles and we had lots of change management meetings. And, and we had some really tough discussions to get there and not perfect. We still have too many order sets um, because we did configure some other order sets for, for independent groups and so on. But the reality is, is that we really took that approach of we have one enterprise EHR. Our patients can come in any one of our doors and we need to have that common experience and that common patient facing experience for that patient, no matter what door he or she comes into. So it behooves us to make sure that we're building this one way. Our docs can go between our hospitals. Our nurses can go between our hospitals. Our patients are going between our hospitals and ambulatory clinics. Shame on us if we don't create that experience. So it starts with senior executive group, aligning on those guiding principles, cascading down the IT plan from the strategic plan. 
we, we do have platform-based governance groups. So we have an EHR governance group. We have an imaging governance group. We have an ERP governance group. So think of those as platform-based governance groups that includes all the different facilities. And we make decisions there with, you know, some of the IT leadership being that common thread across those platforms. And then of course, back to those informatics groups, we have those nurses, those physician informaticists, which really are the tip of the spear. So they're out there, they're collecting input, they're helping the IT teams make decisions, and they're helping drive that standardization. And then frankly, it, some of this is just one project at a time. You're using uh, you know, an online scheduling project or a chatbot project or a quality project to really just mature the data governance, the data definitions, the minimizing manual abstraction of data. You're using one project at a time then to tune that maturation of how you're using the IT platforms. And it's, it's, it's a never ending journey. That's why it's so much fun getting out of bed because it's never ending. So you can be good, but every step along the way, you're finding places where we can be better. And that, that striving for greatness is, gets me out of bed every day. Yeah, it's probably, and you mentioned this word earlier, innovation. Uh, I think, again, it was that thought leadership, and we were talking about this last year, and I kind of looked around the room, and again, there was probably, I don't remember, six, seven, what we would call kind of those rock star CIOs like you. Boy, you just seem to be a little bit ahead of everybody else in what you were doing. In some cases, maybe a lot ahead. How do you approach innovation and, and really kind of achieving that next level of greatness that y'all are trying there? Is it, is it a strategic approach or is innovation embedded everywhere? How do you all approach it? Yeah, so first of all, you know, innovation is actually one of our four strategic pillars. And so we've taken that extremely seriously. The way I look at it is that um, our IT platform is a platform for, for innovation, not just for transactional EHR-like activity. So probably a good six, seven years ago now, Russ, we, we really went down the path of we know that the EHR can't be this locked chest of information. We need to know how to get data into it and outside of it and not just rely on you know, a, a vendor in Kansas City or a vendor in, in Verona, Wisconsin from doing anything for us. So we are very strategic with making sure that we understood how, how um, you know, CCDs were gonna work, even kind of like the pre-fire stuff. How, how are these standards going to work of getting data in and out of Epic? How to understand how to use APIs, public, private, open APIs, and those kinds of things. So with the idea that we wanted to be actually in control of our own destiny and be able to work with third parties, entrepreneurs, innovators, and not just rely on ourselves or our EHR vendor to solve all of our problems for us. So Colorado, middle of the country, not everybody knows about where Colorado is. You know, you're sometimes either on the right side, left side of the United States, and um, <laughs> that's where all the innovation's happening. So we knew that in itself, Colorado is a place where people want to ski, not necessarily a place where people want to innovate. And so what we wanted to do, though, was make our, our process, our approach, our ability to have an enterprise EHR that could be scaled from academic to large community to small community available for innovation. So we actually embraced third parties. We embraced early startups that had a really interesting idea that were, was solving a problem that we had. And then we helped them figure out how to get data out and data into our EHR and then scale it across 12 hospitals very quickly. 
but we're also very laser focused on not only solving problems for UC Health, but we are looking at partnering with that third party to make sure that we're doing things in very standard, scalable ways. So we are trying to look at solving problems for UC Health and solving problems for that vendor's second client, third client, 20th client, 300th client. So we really, we kind of brought a lot of vendors and our EHR vendor together to solve these problems. And then we proved, proved it out, proved that it could be scaled, proved that it actually was driving business value, and then really help them scale it to others. And sometimes we even acted as an extension to that third party vendor as they went into client number two, client number three, we helped them with how to configure things, APIs and so on, so that we saw that they could scale it. So first of all, you know, if you live in Colorado, um, work hard, play hard like environment, but we also um, aren't so arrogant that we think that everything has to get invented here. So we've really embraced that third party innovation, brought people to the table, helped bring our EHR vendor to the table with these things. And we just feel like that's our role. Our role is to not only do the right thing for UC Health as we bring IT innovation together, but do the right thing for the other health systems in Colorado, help them because many of them are on the same EHR platform, but then also do things in ways that could be scaled across the country. It's, it's the rising tide raises all ships approach. And I think we take that extremely seriously. Today's episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our segment supporter, LK, your healthcare data plumbers. Learn more about LK at ellkay.com. Yeah, and, and I know you do some unique stuff in, in actually engaging the patients, the consumers, the public as a whole that, again, I'd love to just hear some of the thoughts and how you're engaging the actual patients in this process. Yeah, so um, experience is one of the, our, our pillars too. So we, um, we're extremely proud of you know, how we brought the digital patient experience to, to the patients. And so a couple of things. One, we've been a long adopter of, of open notes. We were doing open notes you know, probably 10 years ago now. And now with uh, the information blocking rules, we're actually kind of excited to see how all that's going to play out. It's, it's hard. I mean, even some of the rules that are, are, are you know, upon us here, even stretching what we've done in the past, and we've been pretty early adopters on some of the transparency initiatives. But one of the core things that we've done from an IT perspective is that we have partnered with our patient experience teams and our marketing teams. And to the point where sometimes I can't tell the difference of who's in IT and who's in marketing, or who's in IT and who's in patient experience we brought these teams together and and we've created this platform that really brings the patient and their family and their family into the care process and this transparency strategy guiding principle is kind of in just embedded in everything we do and it's not just about pricing transparency it's about your notes it's about you know making the ability to schedule appointments for not only primary care but specialty care very available to you so we created this foundation of partnership between IT experience and marketing that I think has, has served us well. I think the other thing that we've done, um, and people on my team is awfully tired of this, but I often say to them, tell me what your favorite app is. And they'll usually come up with, you know, a banking app or, uh, you know, open table or Fandango or, you know, whatever it may be, right? Social media app of some sort. I say, okay, now tell me how, what we can learn from that app. 
what can we learn from OpenTable as it comes into how do we make our, our online scheduling experience as easy as that, right? Now, those are lofty goals. We have done that and we're still not as easy as OpenTable, but I'm asking the team to think through how we embrace mobile banking and how we embrace, um, embrace retail pharmacy, how we embrace dining or movies or other things. And then how do we learn from that and that intuitive experience and then translate that to healthcare. Healthcare is infinitely more complex than making a dinner reservation. I get that, right? But the reality is why can't we strive for making a doctor's appointment almost as easy as that? right? We know that we have doctors availability, specialists, we have payers involved, we have co-pays, financials, everything. We know, we get it, right? Harder than going to a dinner, but we should be striving to make it that easy. So we constantly are learning from others, learning from other industries, and trying to translate that to, to our own patients' needs and our own consumers' needs, and how do we make it easier for that? And you know what? We've come a long way, right? It's not perfect, but that's how we've done online scheduling. That's how we've done chatbot integration to our mobile app and, and serving that up just like you would at a, at a utility company or your, your favorite retailer has chatbot capability. We now have that integrated with the EHR. It's like those things, that's, that's the expectation of our patients and our consumers. Expectations are only rising. They're not staying the same. They're not declining. And we need to stay one step ahead of those expectations and deliver a superb experience. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. We were just just did an education event earlier today, and and we were talking about the competitors are not the big health systems down the road. The competitors are if you go out and look at the Digital Health 150, and all these companies, and you have no idea who they even are today. They're the ones that are doing exactly what you're talking about. They're trying to figure out how to commoditize healthcare from a consumer perspective. Those are the real competitors. Uh, good for you all for really trying to learn from that and simplify that curve. But you know, to, to do what you're doing takes an entire organization to be at least digitally aware, maybe not completely digitally competent, but at least digitally aware. What are you doing to just embrace the mindset across an entire huge organization to for, for digital to be one of those true business drivers yeah so um I, I feel a little bit fortunate because i think you know my boss the system ceo our senior executive group they've embraced it right they've embraced me they've embraced us they've embraced this philosophy i do think that as you look at the parties of the organization it is embedded in everything that we're doing and everything that we're delivering and vice versa right so it's like you know if you if you think about the past Think about what a CIO was 15 years ago. The CIO was you know, mostly making sure that the data center was up, that the network was running, most likely that, that DOM terminals or low-end PCs were connecting to mainframe computers and so on, right? So you know, the IT of the past um, is gone, it's gone. And if you remember you know, back in the you know, 90s, early 90s, maybe even later 90s, the internet to some degree was still a luxury, right? We, there are some communities, even today in Colorado, there's still some communities that just don't have broadband or, or the appropriate Wi-Fi capability. But, you know, 
the internet was a luxury back then. The, I actually think healthcare IT is now like the internet back then. Healthcare IT is just, it's, it's taken for granted, it's a given. And now what we should be doing is leveraging this capability to transform the way we deliver care. So while we still worry about the network, we still worry about PCs, we still worry every day, every hour about security and privacy, you know, most of the day now is consumed with how do we use what we have now to operationally improve what we do, make ourselves more efficient, cost-effective, and deliver a superior quality-filled experience to our, to our patients. So, you know, I, I don't feel like I now need to engage the organization in, in IT. It's actually, the hard work is around prioritizing the efforts that we have because there's no shortage of opportunity, but also managing change, right? You know, I, I would say that half of my job is, is just down and dirty change management around how we are going to operationalize what this IT capability now gives us the opportunity to do. And it's fun, right? It's fun because IT is innovations. IT is innovations is IT. IT is operations. Operations is IT. There's really kind of maybe in the future, there really is not even the separation of duties. We're all just part of a team rowing the same direction. So I wouldn't even say at the heart, an integral part maybe is a better way to describe it still of University of Colorado Health though is its academic function. You know, it, it is a training ground for clinicians, for pharmacists, for MAs, for whatever, from a clinical perspective. It's a huge school system. Um, how do you approach that, balancing that, which at the same time can be a challenge with, and, and even in the research part of that, which can just astronomically drain resources um, with trying to, to really maintain what needs to be maintained? Yeah, it's a great question. So I look at my role, um, obviously I'm a CIO for a health system. And so therefore my major priority is delivering clinical operations capability. But obviously being a CIO is part of a, a larger health system that's got academic arm. I'm also focused on the academic part of it. So we're teaching the next generation of doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and so on, but also the research end. So we're, we're, creating the next level of breakthrough and discovery. And we've seen that every day with, with COVID and the pandemic and, and the lab testing and the vaccine trials and so on. But what's interesting is like, I, at the end of the day, I, I see it as a big funnel. The funnel has lots of clinical opportunity, lots of academic opportunity, lots of research opportunity. But in the, the day, my job is to pull all that together and the bottom of the funnel turns into a bedside point of care experience for our doctors, our nurses, and our patients. So even when we have, you know, a very large biobank with genomics data and PGX and so on, I was I've been constantly thinking about how we deliver those results back into the EHR, back to the patient, back to the doctors in the clinical decision support, just like a drug drug um, notification is brought to them. Now we have drug and genetic complication interactions brought to them. We think about um, the vaccine trials. So we're, we're a, a health system is actually doing two different vaccine trials for, for COVID. We actually um, did the criteria for the enrollment using our EHR. 
and we did outreach to those patients who met the criteria for the vaccine trial through our mobile app and through our web portal. And then we actually had them enroll and do the consenting electronically through our EHR and our digital patient experience tools. So even though it's complicated and we have, you know, hundreds of research projects and clinical trials going on at any one time, we have a biobank where we're returning results of omics evaluation. It's all coming back at the bottom of the funnel to that point of care. Shame on us if we're not taking all of that discovery and research and translating that to the bedside or to the ambulatory exam room. And that's exactly what we're doing. So at the top of the funnel, three different jobs, bottom of the funnel, one job. And that's to actually transform the way we're delivering care using all of that capability. So you're in a pretty high tech area. It's not maybe Silicon Valley, but even Silicon Valley is not Silicon Valley anymore. You know, Colorado has always been, whether that be up the Boulder Corridor or up into Fort Collins with all the tech firms up there, you're in a really competitive landscape for tech talent. And how do you stay so focused as kind of one of your passionate cores for people development, relationships, and mentoring people to get them where they need to be? And and they stay. I was looking at your list of, of who your senior leadership is, and a vast majority of your IT senior leadership are the same people that were there seven, eight years ago. That's right. Um, I don't let them leave. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. I actually think it's two things. One is, um, actually, probably three things. I think one thing is that we're, we're doing some cool stuff, right? We're doing cool stuff. Um, we're innovative. We're creative. And I think the people do appreciate that. Um, sometimes it's tiring because they just want some normalcy and some status quo stuff. But you know, constantly moving the needle and transforming care is is cool, right? And they know that they may not be able to get that in every other health system across the country. I think the second thing comes down to some of my leadership principles, and this is probably motherhood and apple pie. But you know, it, it's pretty simple the way I try to lead and make decisions and. You know, I, I look at every decision I make and, you know, as leaders, just like you, you're making decisions every, every minute of every day. You're, you're constantly trying to do the right thing for the organization. You're doing the right thing for your team and then you're doing the right thing for yourself. And you're doing it in that order. That is your priority order, organization, your team, yourself. And so um, I'm sure you can think about leaders of the past for us where those priorities aren't the priorities. Something's out of order there. And so that does two things. One is it, it lets people um, know that I'm consistent with that's how I'm going to make decisions. It also hopefully allows them to respect it and that I'm going to make some decisions that are the right thing for UC Health that actually may not be the right thing for my team, but they know I'm never making decisions because of the right thing for me. And so it creates a level of consistency, but also a level of integrity that I think people can count on. So that's number two, that's, uh, that's again, motherhood and apple pie. But if you step back and look at your mentors of the past, you can kind of see how they've led. And then you can see some of those, maybe those leaders who aren't considered your mentors, who you can see how they got the priorities out of whack. So sounds simple, maybe um, not as intuitive as I'm, I'm saying it is. I think the third thing is that we've created a program that I pretty much stole from, from Epic themselves where you know, we have, we have a process where we can, as we continue to grow, we're doing monthly go lives, whether, you know, new ambulatory clinic acquisitions or new nursing units that have been renovated or new affiliates that we brought onto the system. So we have monthly go lives. So within that, 
we created this role called implementation specialist, which is, it's a, it's a off the street entry level IT job. So we require a, a degree, but that's it. We don't require any other experience. So it's zero to two years of experience. So we're bringing people in fresh out of college, fresh out of maybe their first job. Um, you know, they may not know what they want to do yet. Um, they may have heard of UCL, maybe not. Maybe this is just a job for them. But we bring them in. We have a, a compensation approach for, for it as an entry level. And then what we do is we actually have them work on our implementations. And they're getting a ton of experience out there with an EHR, but also with all of healthcare, right? Whether it's front-end scheduling or back-end billing or ambulatory or inpatient or whatever it may be. And then after about a year, assuming that we see that they're really good and assuming that they really like UC Health, we actually then say, almost have them declare a major. Okay, after a year, what are you interested in? Are you in the back end, front end, ambulatory? You into you know, hardware, software, whatever? And then we kind of groom them for that next level and we take them through a career ladder progression. And I gotta tell you, Russ, I mean, some of the best people that we have now, some of our senior developers or our, our system architects or senior analysts, are coming from that that world, right? Where they came in and they were hungry and excited and passionate and they just, they grabbed hold of this opportunity and just made it something special. And along the way, they learned to, to really um, embrace UC Health and our culture too. And some of these people have now been here for five, six, seven years and some of our best people. And now, on the opposite, we're just doing whatever we possibly can to to keep them around and keep them engaged and keep them um, in, in roles where they can feel like they're continuing to spread their wings. So I think it's I think it's those three things. Now again, um, easier said than done, but I think it's those three things that have been part of our our, our soul. Cer certainly not not uh, perfect by any stretch. I you know I I learn every day and and hopefully avoid making the same mistakes. But I think we have some good things here. Well, it's amazing. So it is an interesting, you know, kind of the last couple of questions here. It is an interesting kind of horizon for us as we look out there. There, there are so many things coming in that are going to be kind of fundamentally change the DNA of healthcare, machine learning and blockchains and robotics, RPA. I mean, you just, the names go on and on and on. Um, how are you kind of approaching these massively disruptive opportunities there all at the same time, building this super innovative and, and really engaged places when some of these things might be really disruptive in the future. Yeah. So um, it's really interesting. Again, I, you know, this is what gets me out of bed every day. Right. So first of all, I think we all need to appreciate just how hard the job of our doctors, our nurses, our other clinical staff really really are, right? I mean, even, you know, pre-COVID, uh, when they weren't risking their life on a daily basis, the jobs of these clinicians are unbelievably difficult. And our role, I feel like my job, our, my role is to just do whatever we can to make their lives better and easier, which then hopefully will then cascade down to the patients and their families. So, you know, our job um, shouldn't be to give them more data or make them enter more data into the EHR, their job's already hard enough. I don't think we need more data. I think we need more intelligence 
And frankly, we need more prescriptive intelligence. We need to help them do some of the more mundane routine things and unlock their brains to do the harder things. So that's where machine learning, you know, predictive intelligence, prescriptive intelligence, artificial intelligence, that's where we can really make a difference to our clinicians and then ultimately to our patients. And we need to embed everything we do into their tools, into the point of care. Don't make them go to another system, bring it to them, make it easier, make it more intuitive. So I think that's really thing, important. Cl keep that closed loop in mind. Don't give them more data, give them more intelligence and bring it to the point of care. I think the other thing that we've done um, with, with pretty good success is we stood up what we call our virtual health center. So this is a team of technicians, RNs, APPs, MDs who are offsite. They're about 15 minutes from our, our main academic medical center and they're providing monitoring and surveillance capabilities for all of our 12 hospitals. And now we're starting to do more of the home monitoring, the remote patient monitoring, home surveillance capabilities and so on. And what we've done there is we embedded a lot of this intelligence on top of the HR, serving up the, the potential deteriorating patients onto a watch list for that virtual health center to then have first eyes on these patients and then work with the, the bedside clinicians to, to appropriately intervene. So we've actually started to really move the needle on sepsis, on telemetry monitoring, on fall risk monitoring, on general deterioration by leveraging the HR, creating this intelligence, bringing the intelligence to the point of care when appropriate, but also bringing to the centralized virtual health center of nurses and doctors, ICU trained, who have this mindset, who then are working with the, the local bedside providers on the appropriate intervention. So it's really creating this extension of the local care team in a virtualized, remote way, using intelligence to move the needle. The jobs of those bedside nurses and doctors are so hard. And you know, while they're working on one patient, this other patient may actually be deteriorating. So having this eye in the sky, this capability using both humans and machines to watch over the entire um, enterprise has been magical, game-changing, has opened up all this creative, innovative thinking around other intelligence, other algorithms that we can either you know, co-develop with third parties or co-develop with the researchers at CU or, or whatever it may be to, again, transform the way to deliver care. Well, Steve, we could probably sit and do this all day, so I'll give you maybe one last uh, question here to kind of wrap up our time together. And, and, and I know you've given an amazing amount of advice and wisdom today alone, but maybe one last thought you want to share with our listeners on this program. Yeah, and I think, um, I think CIOs are, and IT leaders in general, are at a really important reflection point um, in, in probably their careers. And as I looked at the pandemic and I looked at the, it, it seems like in many ways, Russ, the strong health systems got stronger, right? Um, you know, sometimes crisis like what we have here is a big old spotlight and sometimes people, you know, embrace that spotlight. Some people shy away from that spotlight. So my advice to all those, those CIO leaders, no matter where they are, frankly, in their career trajectory is to create your own destiny, right? As I keep saying, I've said multiple times today, IT is operations. Operations is IT. IT is innovation. Innovation is IT. 
the lines are blurred. You're not just a CIO or IT leader, you are an enabler. You're a creative thinker. You are an integral part of what makes your organization special. So think big, think, think about where the organization is going to need to go. Help them navigate to that. Help your organization understand that future state and play an active role in the destiny. So make sure that you are part of that destiny becoming a reality and not just a spectator. Well, Steve, uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on the program, but uh, now probably going on 10 plus years of, of friendship and relationship, uh, you always uh, set the bar pretty high for everybody. And uh, we're so pleased at how well you're doing out there. Please say hi to everybody for me out there. And a special thank you for being on the program today. I appreciate it, Rutten. Before, uh, before we end, I just want to say something. So, you know, I appreciate the role that you play in, a, in probably more ways than you'll ever understand. And frankly, the role that Chime plays in our journey. I think that, you know, healthcare IT is a, is a team sport. And having you and, and your entire Chime team as part of our team is extremely invaluable. And, and I do think that sometimes you guys are probably, you know, behind the scenes doing all the heavy lifting that you are doing, but don't, don't necessarily see some of the fruits of your labor. Just know that the role that you personally play, the role that Chime plays is integral to the healthcare IT ecosystem. And, um, don't underestimate that role. We really appreciate what you guys do. Steve, thank you so much. Uh, I'm blessed to work with an amazing team just like you. So thank you so much. We would like to thank our listeners for, for listening to this podcast, this version of our digital health leaders. I think we listened to one of the best today. Um, I've always been looking for that poster person for uh, 3.0. I think we may just have found that person. So Steve, you're doing an amazing job. And uh, if you can listen to this and any of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, or at our website, chimecentral.org forward slash media. But for now, most importantly, during these tough times, please take care, stay safe, stay home. If you can't wear your mask, uh, be safe and God bless. Today's segment of the Digital Health Leaders podcast was brought to you by our supporter, LK.